All right. Hello, everyone. Oh, man. Tough day. I mean, it's been a tough weekend. But before we get started, turn on those post notifications and subscribe and check us out on Apple and Spotify or Anchor if you listen to any of those so that you don't have to be, you can skip around to other apps and listen to the podcast while you're doing that. But the Sixers got swept, as you can see by the title right now. It was ugly. It was, there's a lot of question marks now. We talked about this on the, the series preview that if, if they lost this series, just not even getting swept, if they lost a series, there'd be a lot of question marks about this team. And, you know, even, you know, me and Sanjay predicted they were going to win, but that was biased. If you watch the whole podcast, you can tell, like, we, we really knew this was going to be an uphill battle. We literally admitted we were biased. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, let's just get into it. Um, we're not going to talk about the series too much. We're going to kind of talk about this whole organization and what needs to happen moving forward. But with that said, let's just go over what, what happened and what stood out to you guys in the series and what you guys really took away from it. So, I mean, Dan, you can start us off if you want, man. Oh man, <laughs> there's just there's just so much you could say. Um, I I was out after the third game. I just did not want to watch the last game uh, because I just had no hope for it. Uh, I was also away, so I didn't really have a point to watching it. But um, I mean, man, there's just so many things you could say. Uh, I guess I could pull out some positives out of this somehow. Uh, Embiid, when it seemed like it mattered most, he was really putting himself out on the line. But still, yet again, his efforts were in vain because our team just doesn't know how to play for some reason. Um, Embiid really is a beast. And there are some things he needs to work on, obviously, as we can tell from like the double team, which killed us a lot during the first two games I believe and still the third and fourth game but um, also another uh, positive Brett Brown's gonna get just gonna be gone like no matter what so uh, if he is not gone I just don't know if I can watch another season of that <laughs> I just don't know <laughs> if I can it's not possible um, I just I don't know what else to pull from this, I, I think we saw some flashes of uh, Alec Burks, uh, what he could possibly be for us if we kept him. Um, we saw what Shake Milton is kind of made of at this point and what he can produce as a role in him. Um, uh, I, I think we can take a positive. Well, I can't call it a positive yet because I don't know if we're going to get rid of Neto or not. But we can kind of see that he should be getting rid of, but you know, this, this is, this is all if our front office changes and our coach changes, this is smart. People would make these moves and that is not Brett Brown. Um, yeah. I, I just don't know what else to say. It was, it was an awful series. Um, unfortunate to not have Ben Simmons around for the series uh, because you can definitely tell we, we missed him. <laughs> So that's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, I, even though there's going to be a lot talked about this podcast, in terms of the, the just the series, the, it, we really are just like almost at a loss for words at how, how it went down. So, Sanjay, with that said, why don't you go next, man? <laughs> all right. So first off, let me start with this because 
it kind of feeds off the Ben Simmons point you just made. We really, and we, you and me talked about this in the preview, Hunter. Yeah. We missed Simmons on that defensive side of the ball so badly. You don't, you don't win a basketball game, or at least you don't win playoff series. You can win a singular game here and there off chance maybe, but you don't win a playoff series without defense. See Portland Trailblazers about to get knocked out the first round after everyone went crazy after them winning game one. You don't win a playoff series without defense. And we had no answer for the Celtics on defense. I couldn't count you the possessions where I was just like, oh my gosh, we just got to stop here. We could grab the momentum. We could go down the other end, take actually a commanding lead. We never once had a commanding lead in this series in any game, not a single one of them. We could go down and get a defensive stop, come back, get a commanding lead, and actually put some pressure on them. That never happened. Not once. I can't count the amount of times I thought it, and it frustrated me so much. And then, Dan, you talked about the double teams really getting to us. But part of that was, yes, it really was a big issue in games one and two. But in games three and four, Embiid was making the right passes out of double teams for the most part. He still screwed a few up. He still got room to improve there. But, like, he was making those passes. Like, guys, we can't shoot the three. Like, what am I supposed to say? My man, we'll talk about later in the player-specific portion of this, like, podcast. I can't tell you how disappointed I am in my man, Maz. I saw him get – I can't I can't tell you, man. He, got, he only really got significant minutes in game three. But in those minutes, it was just – so disappointing to see because he had shots he had looks and beat got him the ball off double teams richardson swung him the ball when he got closed out on fast like he had looks and when you have looks like that like the looks Embiid can give you with his double teams on the inside you have to hit the shot you don't got to make every shot but you got to hit some of them and for goodness sake we couldn't buy a three like i would have paid we could have probably not bought a three for tobias harris's entire contract and, like, obviously, like, right now, prayers go out to Tobias. Like, hopefully he's okay health-wise. No matter what we say of him and his playing style, like, you never wish that kind of injury on a player. We hope he's okay. We're praying for him. But we were so cold from the three in our outside shot. And you just can't win like that. Like, if they're going to collapse on the inside and you can't shoot from the outside and you can't get a defensive stop, they're just – there was no way. Like, after the, sec- after the third game, really, I think, was where I just flat-out lost hope. Where I was like, even watching the fourth game, I never once felt a sense of, oh, this could be it. You know, we really could put our foot in the ground here and take over the game. Like, there never was that feeling. And, like, there are some positives. Like you said, Burks is a walking bucket. I hope we keep him. Like, he was a really, he was a really encouraging thing to see throughout the series. Shake, like you said, he showed – Good, he showed good composure, I think, during the series. He didn't really step in and take anything over, but he showed good composure. After his first game, he didn't really have many bad passes, many turnovers. Like, he has a promising future with us. There are bright spots from this series, but majority of it is a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I, you guys pretty much summed everything up. I think something that um, I want to point out that we'll, we'll get into a lot this episode, I'm sure, is just, man, the roster construction – is terrible. It's horrendous. I mean, 
for, for all the praise that Elton Brand received in his first year for getting Jimmy Butler and getting Tobias Harris, that all came crashing down over the matter of like, I think even before the bubble, people were, even though it was a rough year, people were like, it's, it's Brett Brown. He's the problem. And he certainly is the problem. But the bubble and this series really showed how much of an issue Elton Brand and his front office really are. Horford was a mismatch every single time he was on the floor. And I just can't believe we paid him 97 million guaranteed. I think it was. And then 107 overall. Thibault's great. He's got a bright future, but you're asking a lot of him to be the guy to shut down their star players. And I know Ben Simmons going out had a lot to do with that, but you're asking a lot of a rookie and, you know, roster construction has to do with that, that you're asking um, a late first round pick to defend one of the best young players in the NBA and Jason Tatum. And, you know, they had their ups and downs the whole year, but the chemistry this series to me just was like, even throughout the year, you would see them kind of build some chemistry and then it would like fade away a little bit. There was, there wasn't even any of any of that this series at all. And then as, as far as Brett Brown, his players are just soft, man, as usual. You see teams like the Eagles when, when there's a sense of urgency in that locker room, they go out and win football games. I know it's a different sport, but you see them show emotion and you see that, that energy they bring to the, the field. The Sixers don't bring that at all. And I think, you know, Embiid's got to have a little, little self-reflection. He's got to look at himself in the mirror because, you know, he, he played great. I can't really be mad at him for this series, but I think him playing with the fans really does motivate him. I think he feeds off that energy. And you got, you know, with, with the times right now, you got to be able to just play without that and, and be talented and, and go out there and do your thing. You got to work hard. Um, and the rebounding, man. I mean, I said it before the series started. I could see it with how unathletic Horford and, and Embiid are. They're just going to be reaching up in the middle. It's going to tick off their hands, take a weird bounce. It's going to go right into Celtics' hand. I can't count the amount of times that happened throughout the series, too. And I, I just knew with their hustle and their heart, they were going to get a lot of rebounds. And, I mean, Ben Simmons' defensive impact, you guys already highlighted it. We've talked about it a lot. You know, credit to Jay Rich. He did much better than expected. It just was nowhere near what, what Ben Simmons would have done. But props to Jay Rich. He's one of the few hardworking guys who holds himself accountable in that locker room. And then, yeah, of course, the shooting. Um, you know, for, for in terms of perimeter shots, it was really only shake because, um, you know, Burks was great, um, but he didn't shoot great from the three. So that's why I didn't include him in this, which is fine because he did everything else great. Um, so I'm not bashing him. But in terms of outside of shake, I really can't think of anyone who was consistently hitting shots from the perimeter. Um, you know, Shake shot 41, 42% in this series, which is so great for, for a guy who, was, who started this year in the G League. It's just very impressive. And I actually have the numbers right here. We were 32 of 121 from three in the series. So we shot 26% from three. I just I, – that's embarrassing. I don't know how you expect to win basketball games when you can't shoot the, the basketball consistently, especially in today's league. I mean – the Splash Bros really revolutionized the game, and that's what it's become. You have to have good three-point shooters on your roster. The Bucks have done it really well, too, and they're kind of similar to the Sixers in the way their team is built. They have guys who know their role in this team. But, yeah, outside of Burke, Shake, and Embiid, I can't think of any positives in this series. But moving on to the next, the next part of this podcast, let's just kind of get one final rant slash thing on the whole, the whole season. Just kind of like your guys' thoughts on – everything that happened, what this season kind of meant. Um, and I can go first in this one, man, what a disappointment. 
this was just we've, – we've talked about a lot of it already just, just by talking about the series too. I feel like the series almost summed up the whole season. And it was just absolutely horrendous. This was supposed to be such a huge year for us after losing to the NBA champions last year on a quadruple bounce um, that prevented it from going to overtime. And the fact that we, we didn't bring back Jimmy Butler and some of the news that's come out about that recently, about how it was him and Brett Brown, and we decided to stick with Brett Brown and the rest of the guys rather than make Jimmy Butler happy is very concerning because Jimmy Jimmy's done very well with the Heat, and he's one of those guys who he holds himself accountable, and he knows his job. And he, even though he's not a consistent perimeter shooter, he'll take over a game in the fourth. I mean, we just didn't have that this year at all. And the fact that we took this big of a step back is just sickening to me. The positives, I mean, some of our young players really grew this year. I think, you know, Shake's the big one. We really saw him grow. Thibel, even though he didn't have a good bubble uh, performance, I thought he really grew throughout the year. I think if he hadn't gotten injured midseason, we would have seen more growth from him. But the, I think after Jimmy left, they just wanted to throw big money out there at someone. Um, and they didn't really allocate the resources the correct way. And this is not a team. I mean, I saw a tweet that said this is a group of 15 likable guys who should never be allowed to play basketball together ever again, ever. And that kind of just summed up the whole season for me. So, Sanjay, why don't you start us off on this one? I mean, dude, like you said, the overall world that, like, covers it all pretty much is disappointment. So much expectation come into the season after the way things ended last year. Kawhi Leonard literally breaking my heart. Like, after that, you just had so much hope for the Sixers. And to be honest, the two biggest, most, like you said, the two worst things they did in the offseason to me, which really, if you ask me, screwed over the season, were signing Harris for that much and Horford for that much. Because I was a defender of the the Harris signing I was neutral about, but I was a defender of the Horford contract when everyone else was fighting it. Because I said he could spell minutes for Embiid. He could be a above average bench big, big man for us. He could play solid defense. And in the playoffs, Horford always was there. Bro, Horford, in this series, this series kind of summarized it to me. Horford is the smallest big man I've ever seen. Like, I'm not surprised when I found this out later, but he hasn't ever played the five, actually, before in his career. He's always played the four, from what I understand. Like, he would rotate in. Maybe I have that mixed around, but whatever it was, whatever we tried to play him didn't work at all. Like, it was a mess to watch. He never really fit in on the court with Simmons and Embiid. And then when it was just him and Embiid, he never pulled that big man type of role he was supposed to. Like, he hit a few threes from the outside in the bubble games. And it was just – that was pretty much it. Like, otherwise, he'd brick the shots. In the series, he, I don't remember Horford doing anything big in the series. Like, nothing at all. Like, at all. And then Harris. Harris, man. Harris, we traded for him for the shooting he brought. We hoped he would continue to bring that shooting this year. Because we could have really used it. Like, with the Clippers, I think he was shooting what? Like, something ridiculous. Like, 43% from three or something. Like, he was really shooting that ball at the Clippers. I don't know what happened when he came to us. Like, is there over, different over here on the East Coast? Like, is there a draft in, like, 
Wells Fargo Center? Like, what happened? Like, it's just not going in. Like, it looks like the same shot. He still takes it as often as he did in L.A., but it goes in at, like, half the clip. So those two signings really screwed over a lot of the season because you just saw it all the time, man. Like, we're going to talk about it, I have no doubt, throughout the rest of this, but, like, the spacing just wasn't there. Like, teams would just collapse in on us. The infamous way the Heat just straight out walled us out of the game with a 2-3 zone and just didn't change it. No adjustments were made. They were just like, all right, these boys can't shoot. 2-3 zone, we're winning this game. Straight up knocked us out the game. You saw other teams starting to pull that blueprint on us, just playing that same 2-3 zone. And what are you supposed to do? Because the way you break that zone is with shooting. We don't have that. So I don't know, man. Overall for this season, the biggest thing that just got to me was the lack of shooting. I'm proud of Embiid. I think, like you said, he still has a bit to go. But you can't really argue with 30 and 10. Like, the man did what he had to do. You saw the Celtics had no one for him. Throughout the season, there was – can you really name me a big man who hung with Embiid? Like, really hung with Embiid? Like, no, because he is that dude. But I'll say this. This season got me questioning whether we should keep Simmons or not. And I have no doubt, whether you're on the side of, like, trading Simmons or Embiid, like – something's big has to change after the season. That's all I know. Cause the lack of shooting, the lack of pure offense, the lack of passion on this team. Those were the big disappointments to me of this. season. All right, Dan, why don't you finish us up on this one, man? Uh, yeah. I mean, you guys have said it, it's been disappointing. Um, I mean, I just had so much expectation for this team. Um, I mean, when you, when you come into this season looking at, uh, you know, three potential all-stars, which would include Tobias Harris and then Josh Richardson, a scorer, he was known for scoring on the heat, Al Horford, experienced veteran, always good in the playoffs. Like you're, you're excited about this team and that's just not, not at all. They didn't fulfill that excitement at all. Um, I mean, I didn't get any of what I've I've expected out of Josh Richardson throughout the season, um, and barely even in the bubble. I mean, there hasn't been there's like one or two games where I was like, "This is the guy that we we wanted. This is the guy we, that we needed." Um, Tobias Harris, um, I I love Tobias Harris, and you know I feel bad for the injury that happened to him, but. It's just so much money to spend on him and not have him perform to where he should be. I mean, even last year, I wasn't too impressed with him either. And I thought it was going to be a year. He was going to need a year to, like, adjust, I guess. But as we can see, it doesn't seem like that's happened. Um, And unfortunately, with Tobias Harris, you got to think about, like, there's so much money tied into him. I don't know if anyone wants that contract. Uh so I don't know. I the you're right. The the season's disappointing. Um, there's not much to really be impressed with from this from this season. I mean, like you guys said, like Embiid is pretty impressive. You know, he when he is playing to where he is, where he's supposed to be, the one of the best in the game. He's unstoppable. Um, I mean. We, we found out Shake Milton was something like a diamond in the rough kind of guy where we can keep him and be a solid, at least bench player or starter. I, I don't know where that ends up with the lineup or next year. 
Um, we saw Burks like play out of his mind when he was actually played. Um, and uh, we, I kind of disappointed in the fact that we didn't get to see much from Glenn Robinson. Uh, I had, this guy was the guy that was supposed to come in and shoot. Like he was, he was what we needed and we just never got that. And we never was, we were never able to see it. We never got a chance for him to play minutes to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into those players individually, but there's just not much to be impressed with. It's very disappointing to take a step back uh, and <laughs> not be in the playoff race anymore. Uh, disappointing to lose to someone like the Celtics too. Uh, just the, the amount of times we have lost to them is like, it's so many uh and they're they're just such a a complete team like the the fact that the Celtics are such a young team with a complete team and a complete coach that knows how to get it done uh it was it was demoralizing to see that Brett Brown had no no answer for it at all there was no answer even when we might have had like an 18 point lead at one point which I think only happened once. And that was the only time that was the biggest league we had. Uh, you just knew, you just knew that the Celtics were going to come back and it's probably where they were probably going to win the game. So that's, you know, that's just how it goes for this. Apparently I, this season was just disappointing. Such a weird season as well, considering the whole pandemic. But I mean, I feel like there was enough that we saw that was just, it was not going to work out if it was a full season. Well said, man. And following that, I kind of just want to ask you guys like a general question that a lot of people have been talking about recently and that I've, I personally wondered myself because because um, I grew up watching a lot of Sixers games and, um, you know, just personally, I just remember like a lot of different times as a Sixers fan. So I have an opinion on this, but Dan, why don't you go back to back? Let's hear what you have to say first on this one. Oh man, did the process really work? <laughs> uh, there's there's an argument for both sides. Um, I mean, you created two all stars, uh, two very good players, uh, and we we got to the playoffs from where we were. We were awful. We were absolutely terrible before. Um, we got to the playoffs. This is where this was our goal. We we wanted the championship, and we could have had it probably both this year and last year, if the teams worked out the way we thought they would. Um, but uh, my, my answer to this question is I, I think the process uh, did work, but at the end was where it all fell apart. And not saying that the process is technically ended, but the, for the fact that once Sam Hinkie was done, and then uh, Brand came in and, and Brett Brown came in, everything changed. There's, I mean, Hinky set, set them up for a good, <laughs> pretty good amount of things. Yeah. I mean, so many picks you get, you get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like this is, this is a perfect setup. Uh, I'm sure any coach would love to have this happen to them. Um, but it's so unfortunate that there must have been, some sort of miscommunication between 
Brett Brown and Elton Brand, or there was no communication at all. I mean, there's, it just seemed like from free agency that Elton Brand just went out and grabbed who he could uh, and whoever wanted to be here. Um, and it's just, it's so hard. Like even with Brett Brown, maybe he just didn't say anything for free agency, but if he did, was Elton Brand just trying to please him? Like I, I just don't, I'm not sure. I don't understand what the process that was there, but um, I do think the process worked, but it was ruined towards the end with new, with new management coming in. So I, I think that's my answer. Yeah, I can go next on this one. Um, so like I said, I've watched the pictures um, growing up as a kid. I watched, as a kid, I watched them move on from the Allen Iverson era as he, uh, his time with the Sixers dwindled down and then he went to the Nuggets. Then I watched them form a team of, you know, Lou Will, Drew Holiday, Thad Young, Spencer Hawes, Andre Iguodala, kind of just that underdog team that we knew wasn't really built for a championship run. But, I mean, you know, they beat the eight, the one-seed Bulls that one year. I know Derek Rose was out, but, like, um, just kind of that era I was around for. I watched I watched a lot of them. Um, I'll still go back and watch highlights of that, that team because I just, like, like the – emotion they poured out on the court and then there was the together we build years that was their slogan um, together we build which would later become known as the process and that was when Sam Hankey was here I watched this team lose 72 of 82 games one year they lost 199 games in three straight seasons well combined but you know I watched I'm just going to list some of the players I remember. Ish Smith, Isaiah Cannon, KJ McDaniels, Luke Mbamute, Henry Sims, Jakar Sampson, Kendall Marshall, Brandon Davies, Carl Landry, Furkan Aldemir, the Furkan before, before Furkan, <laughs> which is, I, I didn't even, I actually, I forgot about him, but, um, but this is the result we get. Like that's unacceptable to, to put that out on the court this year after everything, like you said, that Sam Hinkie built up. And Elton Brand was actually a, a player. They brought him in as like a player coach during the process. So he should know like how terrible those years were and what we were building towards. Like he should, he should, he should want to go out and, and make sure he gets a guy who fits with the team. Um, and, you know, it depends on me. For me, it really depends how you define the process. I, I think it worked, but I think it was ruined by, like you said, the people who came after Sam Hankey. Um, they let Brian Colangelo come in with his burner accounts on Twitter and absolutely blow up this team and pass up on Jason Tatum to get Markel Fultz and give up more draft capital. Um, they, you know, <laughs> the process definitely worked in, in the sense that we escaped those abysmal seasons, but uh, just the result, it's hard to really like be satisfied with it. I was satisfied with it. I'll get more into this later, but like the team we had two years ago was a, a, a team that was together. They, they played together. They all knew their role. And this was just, this was not anything close to that. And to get after losing in five to the Celtics that year, and then like being like, all right, we made it to the second round. Um, we've got, we've got a really bright future. We're going to go win some rings. And then to two years later, get swept by them in the first round. It's just so disappointing. I mean, I don't even know how to how to wrap that up, but that's all I have. And Sanjay, you can finish us off on this one, man. Dude, 
I mean, overall, it's tempting for me to say yes. I really do want to say yes because that would justify like all the losses. That would justify all the seasons just lost to the process. That would just, like you said, Hinky, Hinky's plan, Hinky had a plan. It made sense. And you've already talked about how everyone who came after him just basically threw it in the dirt, whether that was through bad trades, bad free agent signings, whatever it was. Like, the process quite literally got stamped on at the end. And to me, that does mean that I, I think it failed. Because you can't justify – hold on, let me look up the exact years real quick. You can't justify, justify straight tanking for – 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, for five years, tanking. Tanking for five years and then winning, getting out of the first round. That's the biggest accomplishment that the process has to show. Winning one first round series. Not even getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, much less making the finals, much less winning a championship. Like, five straight seasons, like Hunter was talking about, where you're in some, some seasons, you're winning, like, maybe not even double-digit wins. Like, can you really justify that without even getting to the conference championships? Like, I understand the idea of it, and I understand how Hinky wanted it to work. And who knows? Maybe if he'd stuck around, maybe if they'd been able to keep him in, maybe he could have made it work. Maybe he would have been able to pull this all together. But without a championship, without even getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, that frustrates me so much. I mean, we can argue and be heartbroken about the shot all we want, but, like, there were other, we had other chances. It wasn't like that was the only chance. And to begin with, we were all in the position for the shot because we let it get to seven. Like, let's not act like the shot itself ended that whole series. Like, there were opportunities for this team to at least get to the conference finals and possibly even make a run at the finals in the East. But you know what? It never got to that point. Instead, our team gradually showed, and this is a big thing to me, I think the process really hurt the culture of the Sixers for a little bit. Because in that process, you had to bring in guys like Brett Brown, who could help, team, who could help a team feel like well-liked and happy, even if they weren't winning. And I think that was a really dangerous thing to let into the culture because you still see it now when we should be winning. You see guys who are out there and they're losing in spots where they should be getting fired up, where they should be like, all right, this means it's time to turn it around. Got to put the game face on, got to go get buckets. And instead, they walk off the court with, like, no emotion on their face. Like, there's no sign of frustration. Like, Embiid was crying last year, but this year he was, like, just – Leveled. I didn't see any big reaction from him after the game, after any of the games. Like, you don't see any, like, particular, like, loss on any of our guys' players. They just seem defeated sometimes. Even worse yet, some of them seem, like, content. Like, after a big loss, like, I'd rather you at least look defeated than look content. Like, that was such a poisonous thing to our culture. And when you couple that with the fact, again, that we never really made it to a significant height with the process – to me, I got to say it failed. I wish I could say otherwise. I really do. Because me saying that it failed basically makes all those years of tanking in vain. But I'm being honest. I think it did. I think it just didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, can't really disagree with anything you said. I mean, overall, I think we're all kind of on the same consensus on the process. 
you know, whether it worked or not, isn't really like the, the big question. I mean, um, well it is, but like, I think the answers we gave just kind of show how we feel about it overall. Um, so moving on pretty much, I mean, it's 99.9% .9 chance Brett Brown is going to be gone within the next couple of days. Um, they're already, there's already like odds up for who's going to be the next coach. So let's just give our final thoughts on his overall tenure in Philly. So um, Sanjay, you can go first and then Dan, you can go right after him and then I'll close out if that's okay. All right. Let me take a deep breath. All right. <laughs> Knock straight for this. Drink a water before this one. <laughs> yeah. Man, let this be the last time that I have to rant about Brett Brown. Please, please, God, if anything – if anything from this season, please let this be the last time I have to rant about Brett Brown. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's do this. The last time, boys, for the last time. Okay. This man, the one thing I always heard as a positive for him was like, oh, my gosh, the players love him. He's great for player relations. He's great. And that's awesome. But player relations don't get buckets, man. They don't draw up an offensive scheme. They don't design a defensive scheme. They don't let you know, oh, my gosh, this is situational. I should challenge here. Or, no, got to call, make adjustments here. Got to adjust my offense, adjust my defense. Player relations don't do any of that. They don't do none of that. And neither did Brett Brown, okay? He just – there were some times, bro, where I would see the Sixers on possessions. And this would be out of a timeout. And they would go through with nothing at all. They were like, all right, um – if you want to set a pick here, that's cool. If you want to roll, that's all right. Uh, I kind of got double teamed, so I'll just throw it to you. Go do something. We have like five seconds left on the shot clock. Out of a timeout. How can you not have an offensive play out of a timeout? Tell me one other coach who does that, who gets a timeout and does not give their team any offensive play. Then there are other ones where you can just see it, like case in point, how the Sixers would front run sometimes in games. If they get out to a good lead, you'd be like, oh, maybe Brown's finally working on his offensive and defensive scheme. Then the other coach makes adjustments, which, you know, is part of the game. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, the co other coach made adjustments. I'm sure Brown will fire back. And he just doesn't do anything for the rest of the game. There's just no change in defense, no change in offense. We're getting burnt on the pick and roll. Brett Brown is just like, all right, just keep fighting in man, I guess. Don't switch. Then we're getting burnt from the three line. Brett Brown is like, all right, you want to know what? We'll just hold guarding on the inside. Just don't worry about closing out too much. Like on the offensive end, oh, we can't buy a bucket on the inside? Okay, let's go to one of our three-point shooters. No, never mind. We'll just keep pounding it inside, even though Embiid is getting doubled, quadrupled, triple teamed almost every possession. You just – I understand why they hired him. For the time being, when we were in the process, like I said, you needed a guy like him to ease the players through what was definitely a rough few seasons. But like I said, you can't just leave that there when it's time to compete. Like when it was came time to compete, when you decided, okay, let's go in on free agents. Let's make big trades. Let's try and make some noise in the playoffs. When it's time for that and you made all those changes, you're going to leave that same coach there? That's not how it works. You can't just do that. Case in point, 
everyone, when the Warriors were starting their rebuild, this is a big example to me. They had Mark Jackson as a coach for a long time. And he was great for development, for bringing up those guys. And as much as Curry kind of got carried by an all-star roster, you got to give it to him. The man is a good coach. He made good offensive play calls for the personnel he had. He adjusted his schemes. He made good defensive play calls for the personnel he had. And he adjusted those schemes. Like, you can't just leave the coach out of it. Talent is not enough in this league anymore. You see, like, next-level coaches. Like, obviously, Pop has been doing this a long time. Guys like Brad Stevens. Dudes like Quinn Cook. The Jazz are up on the Nuggets right now looking like they might get him out of the building in five. Like, guys like that. Dudes like Nick Nurse who just come out of nowhere and really perform at their job. There are too many good coaches in this league for you to just stick with someone average, mediocre, and at times very below average and very below mediocre. So with all that being said, man, I'm just – that will be the only mercy of this season is that he's gone. I'm sorry I went a little bit overboard. got a little bit too heated. But like I said, let that be the last time, please, God, that I curse Brett Brown. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I completely agree with all that you've said. I mean, I hope this is the last time that we have to complain about this guy. Like, I <laughs> – if we ever have to speak about him again, it's I hope it's either on another team, like scrubbing the floors or doing something else. Like I, <laughs> this guy just does not deserve to be on a basketball team. Um, I just, it's so hard to watch in the Eastern conference, Brad Stevens and Nick nurse completely transform their team. And you have Brett Brown that doesn't know how to do anything with his starting five. That would be amazing with any other coach. Uh, I Nick Nurse turns the Raptors into potentially a better team without Kawhi Leonard, one of the top five players in the league. I, I mean, he trains like Siakam is one of the better better players in the league now because all of a sudden Nick Nurse has transformed this team. Brad Stevens, this guy has just produced young talent and it has worked so well for him I mean you even think of Marcus Smart which a guy I don't like at all and is such a big baby he's doing a great job like he's doing a great job at grooming Marcus Smart into what he is um it's just so frustrating to see that you can have someone like Brad Stevens make adjustments so that you know, somehow Daniel Tice can shut down Embiid for a couple uh, possessions and then maybe throw a double team at him and not have Embiid go for like a 50-piece or something. I mean, granted, Embiid was scoring a lot, but he could have he should have had so much more. Daniel Tice is no match for <laughs> Embiid at all. Um, it's so frustrating to see that Brett Brown does not he, – he's more of a – you know, like a player's coach, as, as you've already said, Sanjay, he, he's all about the players and what they're feeling and all that and wants to please them. You, you look at the series with the Celtics and you see, you see Brett Brown literally just arms folded and staring at his players while they play the game. Like he's just, he's just watching. Like he paid a ticket to come watch. There's just no – he's not doing anything. And then you see him in a timeout and like it obviously – he looks like he's talking to the players, but I don't know what he's saying. He's probably just saying, great job out there. Maybe try to do something else. And 
if you want. Like, what? Come on now. Like, I, I just – I want someone like Brad Stevens who's out there on the floor on the sideline making adjustments during the game, yelling at his players, whether angry or not, he's, he's making adjustments. And he knows – he knows – the strengths and weaknesses of his players and he knows how to play towards that i it's just it's frustrating to watch such good coaches in our eastern conference and and to see where we are with possibly better rosters than them like i i I would say they're probably one of the best rosters in the eastern conference and we just can't get it done i don't understand um and then you also see like down in heat, Jimmy Butler, when he leaves, transforms Miami, just absolutely transform. And, you know, granted to the coach, uh, Spolstra is actually a really good coach and has just really done well down there. Um, but they're, they're a scary team right now, and that's all due to their coaching. I mean, besides Butler, there's not really anyone else that would, you know, really be considered one of the better players in the league. Uh, on their team. So I just, I just really hope we don't have to talk about Brett Brown again. And I hope he's gone. He just does not deserve to have a head coach position in, in the league. I mean, like, I would feel bad for the Knicks, like, if they got Brett Brown. Like, this is just so bad. Like, no one wants this. No one at all wants this guy. So I that's that's just my – my sense on it but there you go hunter you got it oh man well i watched brett brown's last press conference hopefully last press conference as as the sixers head coach and he was asked if he thought injuries played a big part in his his career and if we ever got to see him him himself brett brown at his full potential as a coach and so to me that's like saying you know injuries as well as like losing other players and getting new rosters and stuff like that and he's, he said in his, his stupid accent, he said, no, I don't think, I, I don't think you guys got to ever see me at, at my best. And then the guy was like, well, do you want to elaborate on that? He's like, no. In his, in his stupid Boston accent, like whatever it is, I don't know, whatever, the, not to make fun of him, but, you know, it, just like because of him, everything about him pisses me off about him now. Um, but his accent is pretty dope. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of nailed it. He's a player's coach. He's very soft. Like Sanjay said, during the process, that was important. It's nice to have a coach that genuinely cares for you and, and wants the best for you and, you know, tries to do his part, you know, to, to the best of his ability because he's a moron. But this was just uh, – this was a disaster. I mean, Sam Hankey said – literally, quote, this is from Sam Hankey. He said, you know, Brett's going to be a good coach to get us through these process years. And even, you know, from, I take from that, that he was expecting him to be the bridge coach to the next era of Sixers basketball. He wasn't, he wasn't supposed to be around here for long, you know? And then, you know, Sam Hinkie got canned and then they realized, wow, Sam Hinkie actually really set this team up really nicely. By that point it was too late because everyone else had taken over. Um, you know, Pete McCannon for the Phillies was a coach for them for two years during the rebuilding years. He was a bridge coach. There was no long-term plan to keep him around. And after, after he served his time as the manager for a couple of years, they moved him into the, the building as a, for, as a different employee, different job title, still helps the team out, still does, 
you know, they use him to his strengths. Um, they could have done the same thing with Brett Brown. I mean, he was with the Spurs when they won a championship as an assistant. They could have done that with him um, and, and just put him somewhere else in the organization, but they decided to keep him around. And his players don't want it bad enough. The, the first time I saw Brett Brown get angry was game three the other night when he tossed the chair. And that was really only because he knew he was, he knew it was over. He knew he was going to lose his job. Um, you know, I, I think he knew this series was a lost cause. It, it, everything came crashing down on him and he had realized what was about to happen this, this upcoming weekend. And Jay Rich talked about in his press conference, there's no sense of urgency. There's no accountability in that locker room. And, you know, Jay Rich was definitely disappointing in the postseason in the bubble. Um, but, and we'll talk about him more later. We'll talk about that. But personality wise, it's nice to hear a guy say that and to know, like, you know, we have guys like Jay Rich in that building who do want to work hard and who aren't, who, who look very, very disappointed, very pissed off in their press conference. And they don't want to talk to the media because they want to go back to work and fix what happened and make amends for it. You know, it's nice to know you actually have some guys like that in the locker room. And for him to say that, he was asked directly about Brett Brown when he said that too. They asked him, what do you think about Brett? He's like, you know, he's a good guy. He means well, but I think there needs to be more accountability. And that says a lot that his own player would say that to him. I mean, Brett Brown, this is a guy who apparently when Simmons wasn't shooting in the summer, um, I forget what offseason it was, but he was yelling at his coach, like, why isn't he bleep shooting? And why wouldn't you go address that with Ben directly and tell him you need to shoot? Like, why would you say that to your assistants instead of saying it directly to Ben if you want to get the point across? Because he doesn't like to confront conflict. And there was actually an article that came about about this today, too. And he said in a press conference after Ben made his first three that he wanted to see him shoot one three per game after that. He said, you can pass this on to your agents and to, to his agents and to his, um, his friends and family that I want to see him shoot one three per game. And he said that. And then... I mean, Ben didn't take a, a three for the next 25 games. Why would you when your coach didn't address it with you directly? He didn't tell you that directly. He wanted to see you shoot one three per game. He said it to the media rather than taking it to you as like a man. And he said, you know, this, we're all going to get fired if Embiid isn't in shape to his assistants. Why wouldn't you go tell Embiid to go get his act together and get in shape and address the conflict directly? And if that doesn't work, go to the front office and tell him, I can't deal with this kid. He, can't, he doesn't want to get in shape. He doesn't have the desire to win. Let's get rid of him. He's not a hard worker. We're never going to win a championship with him. And, that, and then, you know, just for him to not address any conflict. And like you said, somebody like zero adjustments. You said it too, Dan. Um, you know, this is a league that's kind of trending away from a lot of design plays. But like Sanjay said, when you come out of a timeout and you don't even have a plan, that's ridiculous. I mean, I think I saw two of the game-winning shots we had over his tenure was one was um, it was an inbound, inbound lob to Covington, which worked really well against the Timberwolves. And, Covington laid it up. It was a nice alley-oop, um, and it was great. And then it, uh, the other one was the Furcon pass, which was another just simple play. The other times I, I saw game-winning shots was when T.J. McConnell had the buzzer beater. That was all improv. That was – no one knew what they were doing. You watched the play. Another one was Covington made, like, two threes to, to win us the game against the Blazers. This is, this is, like, more process years when we were kind of starting to come up. But there was no plan. T.J. just swung it over to play Rocco. He wasn't open. He just took a contested shot. There is never any plan, and Brett rarely drew up any plays. He rarely made adjustments. You know, that's all I have to say on it. Wow, we're, we're done with him, I hope. We're done with Brett Brown. That was the last time. Um, <sighs> um, 
Yeah. But moving on now to the front office, Elton Brand, man. I mean, this is, this is a big concern. And I don't know, man, the, the, yeah, so I'm just giving a thumbs down right now. Um, the, this series just really spoke to it too. It really, really brings up a lot of questions about this moving forward. I know, I think a lot of people after that do want him out, but I think there's still a good amount of people who want him in. I think we'll probably all be on the same consensus on this, but um, Dan, why don't you go first and just share your thoughts on Elton Brand? Um, honestly, I am a little bit of like a half and half on Brett and Brett, uh, Elton Brand. Still got Brett Brown on my mind. Sorry about <laughs> that. Uh, Elton Brand. Um, I think for Elton Brand being a player at one point and then coming into this, you know, managing system now, he would learn how to fit, like fit a team together. But uh, on paper, this team is quite large. And there's some of the glaring, like, weaknesses here that didn't seem to work out uh, at all. Um, <laughs> I just – I think Brett Brown – I mean, oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I keep thinking of Brett Brown. Um, Elton Brand uh, – I'm I'm impressed with what he did in free agency because he went out and got people. He went out and did what he could. Uh, now, yet again, we didn't get Jimmy Butler back. But from what we've heard so far is that was Brown's fault. Um, and also, he just did not want to be here. Uh, it's just so hard to think what what he is made of because I believe he's only been here two, three years, right? Yeah, too. Yeah. So I think Elton Brand can be be a good GM, but it's just it's just hard to see him make a statement like this in his second year and formulate a team that is humongous on paper. But the weaknesses just really do outweigh the reward here. I mean, formulating a starting five that have guys I think it's like three guys over six, eight and like Josh Richardson's like the shortest one at six, five. I, there's not really any shooting here besides what Tobias Harris was supposed to be. Um, it's just so hard in a league that is not about a true center anymore. And in a league where it's about shooting, it, you can't formulate a team like this. I understand it was defensive, defensively minded and that we were going to be the, this defensive juggernaut. And that would have been great, but that just did not happen. We did, were not a defensive juggernaut. We were anything but besides that. Uh, the only one that we would say that had lockdown defense was Ben Simmons. And after his injury, the, the, the heart wasn't there anymore. That It wasn't as good as he used to be. And – the fact that Thibault was our next best defender on our, on a, on our the best team like on the best player like putting him against like Demar Derozan or Jason Tatum, you can't expect that much of him already. That's not that's not what you do as a team. Um, it's so hard to say where he should be right now. I think he's gonna stay here for a little while, and see what he can do, but with these contracts. 
it seems like he has to be here for like three or four more years in order to see what he can do because we have some guys locked up for a couple couple more years that we could either trade or just wait it out um it's yeah i mean i like brand for what he did uh free agency and uh i would say the trade for tobias harris was good uh probably didn't pan out the way we wanted it mm-hmm. uh but the the team sense the the fitting of the team was not there uh <laughs> i would just expect so much more for from a former player in the league to know how to formulate a team which is frustrating that he just did not do that well at all so that's all i got to say on it <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll go next and Sanjay, you can finish off. I I think Elton Brand needs to needs to get booted. Um, it's it's unfortunate because I really liked the hire when we got him. But looking back, it was easy to like anyone who wasn't Jerry Colangelo or Brian Colangelo. I forget which one it was at this point. Um, doesn't matter. As long as it wasn't a Colangelo in the building, I was happy. And, you know, just looking at Elton's timeline, um, he came in last, start of last year and or last season rather and he brings in Jimmy Butler which was just a great move we love Jimmy honestly I I'm I'm almost hoping that Jimmy and the Heat win the finals just to kind of like spite the Sixers front office and the organization at this point and you bring in that guy and after he leaves you find out that from a podcast that Jimmy JJ Ben Joel and Brett were all in the film room and they're watching the film. No one says a word. And they just go back to practice without even analyzing one second of that film. That just kind of is a testament to Brett Brown as well. But you bring in that, that caliber of player, and then that's what, that's what kind of culture he comes into. That's embarrassing. I mean, not only that, but then you bring in Tobias Harris. And, you know, on paper, like you said, Dan, like that was a great move. We were all – I know we came into school the next day. We are all really hyped. Like, this guy's the shooter we need. We could really make a run with him this year. This lineup is stacked. It's so deep. And he just kind of – they never really defined his role here because last year it was a lot of catch and shoot for him. He didn't play a ton with us because he came in midseason. So it was a lot of catch and shoot. This year it was a lot of him scoring off the dribble, driving to the lane, missing more three-pointers. It was a lot of that. And, you know, you look back at the team that was there before Elton Brand came in and you had the, after the Colangelo burner account thing, you had the fire in, but you look at this team, you know, you have, you have a clear identity. You had Ben Simmons as your point. Um, and this is the first year we made the playoffs too in, in however many years. And then you have JJ clear three point shooter knows his role. You have Robert Covington who gets a lot of crap, but listen, he, he finished, he was eighth in defensive player of the year. And then the year after that, he was fourth for defensive player of the year. That's, that's not easy to do. He was kind of that defensive ace that Thibault is, except he's a lot more experienced than Thibault, obviously. You complain about the three-pointers all you want. I get it. But look, I mean, right now, Toby's looking like a discount Rocco almost, in a sense, um, which is sad to, sad to say. Um, you know, that's a little extreme. So, you know, I won't say that, but um, – it looks a lot like Rocco. I'm just going to say it. 
and without the defense, which is disappointing. Roko's averaging almost two blocks and two steals a game with the Rockets this year, which is absurd. You, you can't ask for much more on the defensive end than that. And then you have Dario Saric, make some outside shots, make some mid-range, post up occasionally, um, play some decent defense. Dario knew what – we knew what Dario was. He was a good role player. And then you have Embiid. I'm not saying they should have kept this lineup, but look at how much of a team effort that is. Look at how each guy knows what their role is supposed to be. And as far as Rocco, he looks a lot more confident, even though he bricks half his shots. looks a lot more confident taking his shots than Toby does. He's confident in himself. Toby looks like he hesitates half the time when he pulls up to take a three. And you Don't know, forget that sham that we traded. That, I was just about to get to that, actually, um, because, you know, he was that catch-and-shoot guy. You could groom him behind J.J. Redick. He's been pretty good with the Clippers from what I hear. Um, and you give up him in that trade. You know, if you have him this year, you, you can bring him off the bench. And that, that could almost, like, change the Celtics series a little bit, having a guy who can actually shoot. Having him and Shake on the perimeter in that series would have been huge. You know, you give up him, and that's a huge lo- – that's looking like a really, really poor decision at this point. Um, man, I mean, with that lineup, I mean, it's just such a team effort, as I said. Then after that, you have Elton Brand come in. You have Ben, JJ, Toby, Jimmy, and Embiid. And JJ is really the only one, in my opinion, who kind of has like a bona fide role. He, like he knows what he's supposed to do. All the other guys are kind of ISO players. They, they go one-on-one a lot. Ben drives to the lane and takes guys one-on-one or posts up. Joel goes one-on-one in the post a lot. Jimmy is a lot of ISO off the dribble, pull-up mid-range, all that stuff. Toby kind of became the same way this year. That's not how you play basketball. It's really not. It's kind of like in like almost how you, you talk about you bring all these Pro Bowl – or not Pro Bowl, sorry, I'm thinking football, but like – all these all-star caliber players together to play on a team and it doesn't work out because that's just that's just not it's not a fantasy basketball team that you're putting together here you need guys to be able to play together on the court and feed off each other and be able to have chemistry with each other you know you just can't stack them up so yeah this again paying toby um was a big flop al obviously became a huge flop as well there's a lot of GMs who reportedly have said that Tobias Harris's contract is the worst contract in the NBA today, which is sad because like you, Dan, I really like Tobias. I think he's a great guy. I think, I think he's the leader for this team. I think you saw it when he went out. This team lost a lot of, a lot of fight. The, the Celtics won on a big run, even though he's not producing the same. In that game four without him, they were kind of lost without the leader. Oh, breaking news. The Sixers just fired Brett Brown. I just got the alert. It is God over. bless America, my and home, sweet home. <laughs> oh, man. It's a wo- it was a Woj bomb, too. So, breaking news. Oh, you heard it here even first. better. You heard it here first from the take. Brett Brown is gone. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't expect that to happen during the podcast, but – and if only we were live, if only a live streamer. <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> oh man! But that oh. was all I had to say on Elton Brand. I think we're on a good mood now. Um, and Sunday, you're in a you're in a great mood. So <laughs> I'm so I, I happy. Hate to, I hate to dampen the mood, but talk to us a little bit about Elton Brand. All right. So 
I'm going to be happier now, even though what I'm about to say sound will still suck. I'm still going to be happier because of this. So thank you for that, Hunter. Okay. I'm going to list a few teams to you guys. And, well, first I'm going to list a few names to you guys. I'm going to ask you what teams you think they work with and see if you recognize any of them. So obviously you're going to recognize the big ones like Danny Ainge, Masai Ujiri. Yeah. But then what about dudes like, I think his name's Sean Marks, guys like John Hurst, dudes like Chad Buchanan. Like, you know though who those GMs belong to? Those GMs, Sean Hurst. John Hurst is the Bucks GM. Sean Marks, the Nets GM. Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM. All rosters, and obviously Danny Ainge and Masai Ujiri are some of the best GMs in the league. And you can see that by the way their team is always at the top. Whether it's like you were talking about, Dan, the Raptors losing Kawhi and still being like a top, and still being, what is it, a, the second seed? I think they were the second seed, yeah? Yep. Being the second seed in the East after losing Kawhi. Then you got guys like, then you got the Bucks, where they literally have designed their roster perfectly around Giannis. Like you can't get any better of a roster designed around a specific player. Guys like Chad Buchanan, who designed the Pacers roster, where they always got talent, picking up guys like TJ Warren for just cash. Like, those are great moves. And obviously, nothing needs to be said about the job Sean Marks has done. Like, Brooklyn landed Ky- Katie and Kyrie. And they have a bunch of promising young stars, like Dinwiddie, where we're talking about, what's his name, Jared Allen, whether we're talking about Karis LeVert. Like, they have players. And those players on those teams get put there by the GMs. And no offense to Elton Brand. I mean, I know he's only been here for two years. But I always – one thing I always heard said to me, which I thought was pretty smart, give somebody a year to see what they're made of. After a year, they'll fluctuate up and down. But if, once you've known somebody for a year, you know who they are. You know what they're made of. And Elton Brand is nothing special. Like, he's just there. He'll make a decent move. He's never done anything really to like blow us out of the water in the long term. Like he's a decent GM, but like I said with Brett Brown, decent, average, and mediocre doesn't get the job done anymore. That's not today's NBA, where talent can just carry you through. And the GMs are the ones who put that talent there in the first place. So with that all being said, I'm just gonna keep it short. I really think he does have to go. No offense to him. Maybe he can get a job with another team and prove that he really is a good GM. But for us, he's been nothing but decent, and decent doesn't get you wins. 